0: Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Y'all know this, right? I mean, we talked about it before, but I've pretty much got it in your head now. You've memorized it. If I skip it next episode, you're not going to be like, I don't know where to find you! Because, I don't know. I really just want to get through this book. There's five more. <laughs> I'm literally crying right now. There's five more. And you know, that actually takes away part of the uh, finality of any of the bullshit that they do on this book because I know that there's five more. I just wonder how people felt when they were initially reading these books and they are just like, <gasps> Oh my God. They all went to heaven. Somehow. And then they had to wait like three years for the book to come back and find out that none of them went to heaven. Because they shouldn't have in the first place. But none of them went to heaven. Anyhow. Chapter 19. What's a ring without a wedding? Lena. Lena walked softly on the plush carpet as she approached Monroe's office. His door was wide open. And she stood there watching him nervously as she wrung her fingers in front of her body. He was intent. Focused, powerful, and the most beautiful specimen of a man she had ever seen. Her heart thumped and she was overwhelmed with admiration every time she stood before him. He looked down at the paperwork before him, but was always aware of those around him. He sensed her presence the moment she had crept up. Come in here, beautiful, he said as he looked up from his busy work and sat back in his plush leather executive chair. See, that's what I picture when I think of money. When I think of Monroe, this is the life that he should have been living. Somebody who's literally enmeshed in the business aspect of the cartel. Lena walked in around his desk until she stood directly between his legs. What's on your mind? He asked her. That's what I've been wondering about you, she replied. Don't mince words, Lee. Tell me what's wrong, baby, he said. I miss Breeze and Carter and Zaire. "'Money, they're our family, and this beef, this war, it's eating me up. "'It's tearing up my heart!' "'Sorry!' "'It's not supposed to be like this,' Lena said as she touched Monroe's face gently, making sure that he was looking her in the eyes. She needed him to feel the sincerity in her words. "'Monroe misses his uncles, baby. They're all he knows.' "'Money's jaw tensed, but his temper didn't flare. "'Lena was his everything.' He wished that his comeback could have been one big family reunion. He remembered the days of peace and unity within the Diamond Clan. But it seemed that those times had died right along with his father, Carter Diamond. Maybe if Monroe had never gone away, then he could accept Zaire's family. But you did, bro. Like, that's not your fault. Your brother shot you. But you have to grasp the fact that you were gone and they moved on without you. And if you could grasp all of that, then this would be deaded, which is why they're not using the common sense that they gave you in the first book. He would have been around to see the love and loyalty to Zaire proven time and time again. But as it stood, Monroe felt that Zaire was trying to take his place. Monroe refused to feel like an outsider in his own organization. So he had built his own. The Opalaka Money Gang showed him all the loyalty that a king deserved. That's the name? That's the name? That's what OMG stands for? Like literally, OMG. That's the best y'all came up with? OMG stands for Opalaka Money Group? So we're just merging where it's at in your name and then putting group at the end? Ew. Like that's the best thing you could come up with? What if y'all move out of Opalaka, nigga? That's just a a part of Miami, right? So now niggas know where to touch you at. Opa-laka. Also, Opa-laka. I like saying that word. Those words. It's a compound. Opa-laka. Opa-laka. It tickles. The streets were eating his product up, and no one, not even Zaire, with all of his cartel affiliation, could compete. If you weren't seated at Monroe's table, then you didn't eat. He wasn't saving any sea bass for niggas who didn't rock with OMG. Oh, 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 oh. Sorry, that was an Usher song for all y'all who are listening to this in the future. I need you to be like a chameleon, Lena. You have to be able to adapt to your surroundings. There are no guarantees in this lifestyle, Lee. The only thing that I can promise is that I will love you. You can also promise you'll love your son. I mean, like, damn. I will love you until my body hits the dirt, and I'll provide for you. You'll be safe, and we'll live life as long as God and the law lets me. The faces that surround us may change, and I need you to get used to that. Don't get too attached to anyone, because at any moment, disloyalty can make them replaceable. Money pointed to his chest and then pointed to hers. This is our family. You, me, and our son. We're all we got, and that's all you need. He lifted her left finger and admired the flawless stone that he had placed on it. That's why I gave you this. What's a ring without a wedding? she said sadly. With everything that's going on, when will we have time to get married? We'll make time, Lee. We can do it whenever you want. In fact, planning a wedding will keep you occupied. We can do it tomorrow if you want, Monroe said with a charming smile. Lena smiled. "'I need a little more time than that,' she answered wistfully as she began to daydream about colors and floral arrangements. "'There's my girl,' Monroe said with a wink. "'How about a month? "'I can get with a wedding planner and it could be small and intimate. "'Maybe I can invite Breeze?' Lena said. Monroe missed his sister, but in his attempt to keep the beef hidden from her, he had barely seen her reached out. She was a sensitive subject.' and Lena could see the wheels in his head turning as he considered the possibility. "'How about two weeks?' he suggested as he kissed her nose. Lena leaned back and wrinkled her brow. "'What's the rush? What aren't you telling me?' she asked. It was unlike Monroe to jump so quickly into commitment, and she knew that there had to be an ulterior motive behind this sudden rush to matrimony. "'I want you to be my wife, Lena. I want you and my son to be secure.' We're at war, and if something happens to me, I need to know that you're entitled to everything I have, Moreau said honestly. It's important that I leave you with the world at your feet. Then go to the justice of the peace, and sign the paperwork, and get married in name, and in law, and then do the big wedding. That way if something happens to you, you're taken care of, she's taken care of rather, you're dead. She's taken care of, and then she can still plan out the big wedding. In a month. Seems like you're planning your funeral money, not our wedding, she whispered. Lena rose from his lap and walked towards the door. Monroe didn't want to hurt her feelings or diminish her excitement, but he didn't want to lie to her. She could have the romantic side of things. His love for her was very real, but he knew that with street fame came the possibility to death. He just wanted her to be prepared for it. And as his wife, she would be. Dear Carter, I'm writing you this letter to let you know that I'm safe. I staged an entire kidnapping to run away from you. It was all fake. I didn't know how to tell you that I wanted out, and the entire setup just went too far. I hear that you're looking for me, that you've killed trying to find me. I want you to stop. I chose to leave you, Carter. No one forced me to. I walked away. I was suffocating in your world, and I can't go through life pretending that I'm someone I'm not. I'm never coming back to you. Having your child would have been the biggest mistake I've ever made. I got an abortion, Carter. We're too different, and at the end of the day, you're my enemy, and your people took my sister from me. I've disappeared before, but this time I promise I won't return. Move on, because I have. We're just not meant to be. Me and more. I murder. The words on the paper knocked Carter off his feet, and he slowly sat down on the couch and lowered his head. I trusted you, he thought as he felt his heart splitting painfully in half. The earth felt as if it had stopped spinning. He loosened his Gucci slim tie as if it would help him breathe, but he was still stifled. He couldn't inhale. Mia Moore just pulled the rug from underneath him, and he was falling into an emotional black hole. She had done it once before, and now he kicked himself for even giving her a second chance. He had supplied her with the hope to better herself, but instead she had slipped a noose around his neck and sent him flying off a chair. Magdalena, he called as he stood to his feet. Yes, Mr. Jones, his housekeeper replied as she instantly appeared in front of him. The middle-aged woman stood before him in a maid's uniform, awaiting his request. Please box up all of Mia Moore's things. Place them in storage. She won't be coming back, Carter instructed. The housekeeper frowned, yet nodded in compliance. And the baby's things? Would you like for me to box his belongings as well, she asked? His. We're all just convinced, huh? It was at the mention of his seed that Carter's resolve weakened. His eyes burned, but he willed his devastation away as he replied, No. Leave the nursery exactly as it is. He knew that there was no more baby to plan for, but he didn't have the strength to see the room return to a blank canvas with white walls. Magdalena looked at him with sympathy. I'm sorry, Mr. Jones, she said. She didn't know the full story, but she could see the sadness hanging from Carter's shoulders like coats from a rack. Is that the best you could do? Me too, he replied. He looked at the picture of Mia Moore that sat in a small frame on the mantle of his fireplace. He thought of the things he had done for her, the people he had crossed for her, and wars that had started over her. It seemed as if he was always the one sacrificing to make them work, and still she was disloyal. He pulled the picture down and tossed it into the fire. Me too. Nigga, are you serious? Like, serious? So, you know... Money didn't take her. You're not going to search for her at all past that. A letter gets sent to you that, seriously, when the fuck did Mia Moore ever write? A letter gets sent to you, and you're just like, that's it. Fuck her. I knew she was disloyal. Fuck her. You know, when you have it in your mind that somebody's disloyal, that means that you are planting that seed in your own head, so then you won't be hurt later on down the line. But as far as I can tell, Mia Moore's done nothing at this juncture that should make it seem like she's disloyal. Plus, if she's speeding through pregnancy, then she can't get an abortion at this point in time. And she felt the baby fucking kick. She can't get an abortion at this time. I think. Isn't that a rule? Isn't that how it works? I mean, I'm pro-choice, so I don't really ask questions. I don't. I don't. I'm like, yo, your body, your choice. But isn't there a set point? You know what? Fuck it. That's what Google's for. I ain't gonna just, like, Google that shit, though, uh, on my phone, because I don't want it popping up with ads and shit while I'm on Facebook. That would be awkward for my wife to see, wouldn't it? Abortions! Hold, please. I'm literally scared to type this shit in, fam. Like, my wife trusts me way more than Carter trusts me and more. But if she goes on my phone ever, or she goes on my computer, and Facebook pops up with an ad about... You know, did you know you can have an abortion up until four months? Or whatever the number is. Because, again, I honestly don't know. And I'm scared to look because if my wife looks at my phone and sees a search thing that says, How many months is too late to get an abortion? Nigga, that's me on the steps. So, y'all gonna have to Google it at your own time and at your own risk. And let me know because I ain't asking. I'm not searching it. Maybe this is why so many people are just in the dark about abortion, because we know that if somebody just has to look over our shoulder at the computer, what the fuck is that supposed to be? I don't know. And she knows I got a vasectomy. But still, those things don't always take. As the days passed, Mia Moore grew resentful. She didn't want to be with murder. She didn't need him in her life. Where the fuck is her phone, too? Did he take her phone? Like, is she just a captive? Is there no text messaging in this world? Is this an alternate universe? Like, is she being held captive by this dude who claims to love her? She didn't need him in her life. His season had passed a long time ago, and he refused to accept the fact that she had moved on. His attempts at conversation were blocked by her obvious disdain for him, but he was patient. He looked at Mia Moore like a drug addict. She had become dependent on Carter, and he was determined to be her morphine. He was weaning her off. After the letter he had forged to him on her behalf, Carter would no longer be looking for her anyway. Little did Mia Moore know murder had destroyed their bond with one little Dear John letter. You can't just keep me here, she said, her arms crossed as she sat across the room from him. I'm pregnant. I need medical care. I need vitamins and checkups. I'm extremely high risk. I need to be home. Carter. Murder was on her in a flash, across the room and flipping over the coffee table, clearing this path to get at her. Don't mention a nigga's name in my presence. You lucky I'm even letting you keep that fucking baby. I'm trying real hard to keep shit cool with you, Mia Moore, but you're pushing me. Shut the fuck up about that nigga. You're here until I say it's time to go. You're never going back to that nigga. When you stop being fucking stubborn, you'll realize that's what's best for you. What happened to you in there? I don't even recognize you, Mia Moore said with tears in her eyes. Since when do you treat me like this? Since when do you talk to me like this? Since you started fucking the next nigga, Murder spat. When you act like the old you, I'll become the old me. You never even had sex with this girl. You just coveted her. You and money. The world moved on without you. It's an interesting parallel now that I think about it. It's really interesting how they both got out or came from their coma because I guess they're treating prison like he was in a coma. He was just gone. But once they came out, they had fragmented ideas of what the world should be, not knowing that the world moved on without them. But money... Didn't have an opportunity to have a conversation with anybody because he was in a coma. Moore came and talked to murder. They should have never given this nigga books. He nodded his head in understanding. And this is back in book two. I know Moore. I would never ask you to. I know the kind of woman you are. You're loyal. And that's one of the reasons why I feel the way I do about you. Like I told you before. It's not meant to be for us. But it don't stop me from wanting you. In five years, I'm going to look you up. Believe that, ma. You're my little mama always. Life moves on. And I would never ask you to wait. Or to hurt your sister. I'm going to come check for you when I'm free, though. So this nigga said that in this book. And then gets out. And we just retcon everything he said to her. All of a sudden, you started fucking the next nigga. Like, she fucked whoever she wanted to fuck. It's her body, it's her autonomy, it's her right. Like, why are you... I hope she murders you, murder. I hope she does. Miamor shook her head, disgusted. It didn't matter what murder did. He couldn't turn back the hands of time. She had outgrown him, plain and simple. If I meant as much as you say I do, then you get me to a doctor. You will let me go. Chapter 20 One to the heart no headshots. No torture. Carter. You're beautiful, Bree said as she stood back and watched Lena try on the beautiful ivory wedding gown. It was Vera Wang, and although the popular wedding designer was booked clear through the next two seasons, money had given her a bottomless budget to make his bride-to-be's dreams come true. Lena spun around and rushed to Breeze. You made it, she squealed in joy as the two women embraced. It's so good to see you. Lena was genuinely elated to be around Breeze. The two women were more than close, and it had been too long since they last spoke. Of course I made it, Breeze said. You're getting married tomorrow, and I'm honored that you want me to be the first person to see the dress. It's amazing. Breeze noticed a sad look in Lena's eyes. What's wrong? Why aren't you happy? This is what you want, right? Lena shook off her poor mood and masked with an insincere smile. Yes, I'm fine. Sorry. I guess I'm just nervous. Breeze wasn't buying Lena's excuse, however. She frowned and turned to the saleswoman. Could you excuse us for a moment? Breeze asked. The woman exited the fitting room and Breeze grabbed Lena's hand. This is not the face of a woman getting married tomorrow. Now spill. Things are complicated, Breeze. I love money, and he's good to me, but this isn't how I envision this day. It all seems a little rushed. You're not even in the wedding. Yeah, well, considering you decided this two weeks ago, I'd say that it's rushed. Breezed. Oh my God, they put a D at the end of Breeze. Breezed. Breezed answered with a smile. (sighs) We gotta ask for better, y'all. Yeah, well, considering you decided this two weeks ago, I'd say that it's rushed, Breeze answered with a smile. It doesn't matter, Lena. You're meant for money, and he's meant for you. As long as the two of you are happy, no one else matters. Besides, I'll be there. I wouldn't miss this day for the world. Does Zaire know you're here? Lena asked. You asked me not to tell him, so I didn't. He's been distant lately. Focus on other things, Breeze said, more to herself than to Lena. Lena knew that Breeze didn't know what was going on between Zaire and Monroe. As much as she wanted to tell her, it wasn't her place. Breeze was the baby of the family, and she had been through a lot. No one liked to add burden to her delicate shoulders. But we're not talking about me. We're talking about you, Breeze turned Lena towards the mirror and stood behind her as they looked at the reflection. Now where's the veil? Breeze asked. She spotted it in a box on the floor and pulled it out, admiring it briefly before clipping it in Lena's hair. They both gasped in amazement. Now that's the smile of a bride, Breeze said. You're perfection. They embraced, and Breeze checked her Burberry wristpiece. I gotta go, but I'll see you tomorrow. You're staying at the Turnberry Isle tonight? she asked. Yeah, money put me in a suite there. The entire Glam Squad is coming in the morning, Lena said. I'll see you then, bright and early. I love you, Lee, Bree said as she headed for the door. Love you too. Don't be late. Breeze leaned back against Zaire's chest as he held the book they were reading in front of him. It was a ritual that they had started when they first met. And to this very day, they still read to one another every night that they were together. Flip the page, B, Zaire said. Breeze sighed and turned it to the next page. Desiree could tell that she had stopped indulging in the juicy exploits of Sixth and Free long ago. The fuck is Sixth and Free? Okay, now I'm going to go find out that somebody else wrote a book that they're bigging up in their book. And I love it when they do this. But I'm going to go see, and I might add it to the list for later on. Maybe they didn't finish the book because I can't find it nowhere on Google. He put down the book and she didn't even protest. She was too distracted to notice. "'You want to be with Lena right now, don't you?' he whispered. Breeze turned towards him in shock. It was as if he had read her mind. "'This is the first lie you've ever told me, baby girl, and I must say you're not very good at it,' Zaire said. "'I've known about the wedding since you found out. "'You're very loud on the phone, Ma. "'Where'd you learn to whisper? "'A helicopter?' Breeze laughed and cut her eyes as she exclaimed. "'Why didn't you say something?' I've been trying to keep this a secret for two weeks. Breeze exhaled, relieved that the secret was out. She hit him playfully with the book they had been reading. I know you think that I'm naive, but just because I follow your leads, I doesn't mean I'm blind to the things happening around me. Why aren't you invited to the wedding? Why isn't Carter? Why haven't I talked to money since that dinner at Carter's house? Breeze asked. I have a feeling. I'm just hoping that it's wrong. I don't want to have to choose between the men in my life. Zaire kissed the top of her head and inhaled her angelic scent. Her cashmere mist perfume, her signature scent, enveloped him. Things have been... He paused to choose his words carefully. He didn't want Breeze to know too much. How could he tell her that the first chance he got, he was going to blow her brother's head off his shoulders? Admitting such would be marital suicide. It would destroy their relationship forever. Things have been what? Breeze asked. Tense, he finished. We're all trying to figure out our place in the cartel. Before she could ask any more questions, he added, but that shouldn't stop you from being with Lena and your nephew tonight. I'll call a car for you. Promise me that you'll work things out with money, she said. I can promise to try, Zaire replied honestly. She turned and kissed his lips. I need you to try your hardest, Zaire. He's my brother. Her eyes told her that a storm would come if anything happened to Monroe. Little did she know that Monroe had signed his own death certificate. He would fall, and soon Breeze would have to decide exactly where she stood. Zaire only hoped that their love would be strong enough to endure. He sent her with a driver to Lena's suite and watched her drive away. As soon as the taillights could no longer be seen, he called Carter. Zaire... Is everything smooth, fam? I said it like that because they put commas where no commas were necessary. Zaire, is everything smooth, fam? Doesn't work either. But if you put Zaire, is everything smooth, fam? Or if you say, Zaire, is everything smooth, fam? That first comma works. That last comma doesn't need to be there. Zaire, is everything smooth, fam? It's late. Carter answered, seeing Zaire's name on his caller ID. "'The nigga money is getting married tomorrow. This is the first time I've been able to pinpoint this nigga's location. I'm not invited, but I'ma be there. Now I mean,' Zaire said. Carter was silent as he weighed the pros and cons in his head. "'I don't know, Zai. Shit could get messy. Lena and my nephew will be there,' Carter said. He was still trying to figure out a way to keep the peace and restore balance to the situation." But Monroe is making it very difficult. I mean, not really. Because you thought the whole thing, you, you started the whole beef because you thought that he kidnapped me and Moore. So now that you know he didn't kidnap me and Moore, yo, my bad. I know you're mad at me about pointing the gun. But you got over your brother shooting you, so you can get over this. We're brothers too, right? I sent Breeze to Lena Sweet and Aventura. Little man is there with them. "'My driver will be on call in the morning to take them to the wedding. "'Only I've already made sure they never get there. "'By the time they realize something's wrong, "'the nigger money will be leaking at the altar,' Zaire stated. "'A lump formed in Carter's throat, "'but he fought his conscience and said, "'Make it quick, Zai. One to the heart. "'No headshots, no torture.' "'His voice was sad, and he felt nothing but regret "'as he gave the nod of approval.' We gotta get him before he gets us, Zaire said. He sent bullets flying through your windows, fam. If the shoe was on the other foot and he had a clear shot, money would pull the trigger. I know, Carter answered. What kind of brotherhood is this, he asked. He sighed and finished. Take care of it. That solves our beef problem, but we still need a new connect. I'll hop on a flight in the AM to the West Coast. I have a few connections out there that might be able to accommodate us, which is gonna be... Robin and Aries. I'm almost certain of it. Sounds good, fam. I'll hit you after that thing is taken care of, Zaire said. Zaire hung up the phone and a crooked smile crossed his handsome, youthful face. Carter had just given him the green light, and it was all the permission he needed to make Monroe Diamond extinct. Chapter 21 I Want Shrimp and Lobster, Naked Bitches and Good Pussy, Linen Suits and Ocean Views. Holy shit, now we finally get to find out how he put all this shit together. Carter looked out into the night sky from the window of his private jet. In deep contemplation, he couldn't help but think of Mia Moore. He shook his head, tossing her from his train of thoughts, and focused on the task at hand. He sank deeper into the plush leather seats. He was bound for sunny California, Los Angeles to be exact where he hoped to link up with his father's old running partner, Polo. The streets were a perfect distraction for and Moore, and he was ready to jump back in headfirst. Monroe only had the game locked because Carter had allowed him room to eat. With his shark Zaire on his tail, it was only a matter of time before Monroe was out of the picture. His reign would be short-lived indeed, but it was a choice that Monroe had made the moment he had turned against the family. Carter knew that Monroe's death was one that would tear his entire family apart, but also a death that was necessary. His heart could not be any more broken than it was, so fuck it. He was sending the Grim Reaper to Monroe's door with no remorse. The pilot prepared for landing, and Carter gazed out over the lights of the city. Polo wasn't expecting him. Carter never liked to let anyone know his next move. The unexpected was always the safest way to move. That way, no one could see him coming. Yeah, we kind of gleaned that from the words before that sentence. In fact, Polo thought he was living in seclusion, cut off from all his Miami ties. Little did he know that Carter had always known where he was, down to the four numbers on his mailbox. Why? Why did he know where he was? Why did he need to know? Why did he even care? As the plane made its final descent over the city, Carter gathered himself. Paula would definitely know where to go to get the product that Carter needed, and he wanted to hit the ground running. This wasn't a parlay trip. It was all business all the time for Carter, and he wasn't leaving without a brand new cocaine connect. He wouldn't complain if he could corner the heroin trade either. Prescription drugs, even. Los Angeles was a land of opportunity, and Carter was going to take advantage of the things they had to offer. A black Maybach waited at the end of the clear port upon Carter's arrival and he wasted no time instructing the driver how to get the Polo Santa Monica apartment. He wondered why somebody who had hustled so large now lived so small, and he vowed to make smart money moves with his dough so that he wouldn't end up living mediocre after his own retirement. As the driver pulled on a Polo street, Carter sat up attentively as he surveyed the area. Spin the block for me, Carter instructed the driver, who nodded in reply. His paranoia was what kept him free and living. Many niggas that got caught slipping by being too relaxed. Carter would rather be safe than sorry. Park up front. Do not move the car under any circumstances, Carter said. Yeah, you want to be paranoid, you want to be cautious and all that kind of shit, but you're rolling through the hood in a fucking Maybach. Okay. Yes, sir, the driver responded. He got out of the car and opened Carter's door. Carter emerged and buttoned his Ferragamo suit jacket before heading to the entrance. The building was nice, luxurious even, and set across the street from the Santa Monica beach. But still, Carter wondered why Polo wasn't put up in a Beverly Hills estate. Ownership was key in Carter's book. Why lease a unit when you can own the building? I bet you he owns that entire apartment complex, or condo, whatever the fuck it is. There was a span of time out here where apartment complex owners got real fucking greedy and decided to call their little ass apartments like their two bedroom apartments that were only downstairs or upstairs, they decided to try and call those motherfuckers condos. That didn't last long and it didn't go well either. He knocked at Polo's door. It had been a half a decade since they had last seen one another. He hoped his father's right hand man was well and he was eager to check in on him. The door opened and Carter stood face to face with Polo to God. A.K.A. Uncle Polo, the godfather to all of Carter Diamond's children, including Carter Jones. Recognition registered in his gaze, but the words that came out of his mouth didn't match. Who are you? he asked. Carter stepped back, thrown off guard as he frowned. It's me, Carter, he replied in confusion. You don't know who I am? Polo shooed him away from his door. Go on, youngin. Ain't nothing for you at my door. It's a young lady live a few doors down. You got the wrong apartment number, son, he said. Before Carter could get another word out, the door was slammed in his face. Carter stood there for a second, stunned and obviously lost. He turned around and walked hesitantly away from the door. He looked back at the closed door, wondering what the hell that was all about. I'll come back tomorrow, he thought hoping that Polo hadn't gone crazy from baking in the hot L.A. sun. You know, I'd be worried about that too if y'all hadn't talked about Polo and put his quote at the beginning of the fucking chapter. Carter checked into one of the swankiest five-star hotels in West Hollywood, reserving the penthouse suite for his stay. After tipping the bellman to deliver his bags, he was escorted by the concierge to the 50th floor. Italian marble graced the floor, and the expansive floor-to-ceiling windows made Carter feel as if he was the king of the city. All of L.A. was at his feet as he looked over the nightlife. The concierge left him well-appointed with his requested vintage bottle of wine and a steak dinner already prepared and waiting for him to enjoy. He tipped the man generously and then sat down at the large dining table to indulge in his dinner for one. He looked at the vacant chair across from him, and an emptiness filled his chest. His thoughts drifted to Mia Moore. Her absence was suffocating Carter, and he had never felt more alone than he did at that moment. He should be courting her all over the city, whining and dining, shopping and sightseeing. Instead, he was solo and missing life as it passed him by. The bell to the room rang, and Carter stood, knowing that it was his bags being delivered. He grabbed the $20 bill out of his money clip and headed to the door. He pulled it open. Young Carter. Hello, Polo. Carter replied as he embraced him. It's good to see you. I thought you had lost your wit for a second there, old man. What was that all about? Carter asked in confusion. Polo pointed to the steak that could be smelled clear across the room. Why not you order another one of those $300 steak dinners and let me fill you in? The two men sat over dinner and Polo cut into a steak. He savored the flavor and said, now that's a steak. Carter chuckled. How'd you know where I was staying? You're Carter Diamond's son. I picked the most expensive hotel in LA, Polo said. But look, you can't just show up out here unannounced. I got a lot going on out here. Things you don't want to get wrapped up in. Try me, Carter said, fishing for more details. What I'm about to tell you will probably make me look like a snake. But it's the only thing keeping me free. After I left Miami, I began cooperating with the feds against Estes, Polo admitted. I mean, shit, I would too. Nigga pissed on your feet and left you with a rowboat and told you to row row your boat ass on the way back to Miami. Carter put down his knife and fork and his eyes immediately went to the door. You don't have to worry about them, Carter. They didn't follow me here. But they are watching every single person that steps foot to my door. That's why when you showed up out of the blue, I acted like I'd never seen you before, Polo explained. The last thing you need is ties to me. That'll automatically put you under a federal scope. Carter silently kicked himself for walking right into the middle of a federal investigation. He knew that the DEA was the most thorough crime fighter on the planet. They had a war against drugs that had taken down some of the greats in the game. Just by putting his face on their cameras, he knew that they would be asking who he was and what he did. He had drawn attention to himself. Are you wired? Carter asked sternly. What? No, never against you, Polo assured. Carter pulled his pistol off his hip and placed it on the table. Then you won't have a problem with standing and unbuttoning your shirt, Carter said. Polo paused briefly, slightly offended that Carter wanted proof. But as a major player in the game, he understood. He stood and unbuttoned his shirt, revealing nothing but a slight gut and hairy chest. Carter exhaled, relaxing slightly. "'I have to take every precaution. I hope you understand,' Carter said. "'I do, Carter,' Polo responded. "'Now what the fuck would make you turn into a federal snitch, Polo?' Carter asked with contempt. "'The motherfucker Estes is a snake.' He played the game dirty, young blood. The nigga left me in the middle of a fucking Atlantic in a boat the size of a bathtub. The fucking U.S. Coast Guard pulled me from the water, and guess what they found taped underneath the fucking boat? Polo paused and shook his head as he rubbed the top of it, clearly stressing a recollection of events. Five fucking kilos of cocaine. The nigga set me up. I was going away, and I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend my golden years behind steel and concrete beating my dick to naked photos. I want shrimp and lobster, naked bitches and good pussy, linen suits and ocean views. So I either had to take those years or turn on the nigga who set me up. Estes robbed me and your father for years, giving us bullshit prices and bad coke. We still built an empire off that shit and it burned them up. Dominican motherfucker tried to put me under the jail So I turned on him I'm the master of the double cross, Polo said See, that's how I know he did everything else too Can't just be the master of the double cross and just retire Carter rubbed his goatee and shook his head Damn Carter didn't condone Polo's method of revenge But it was his choice They were grown men And Polo had made his bed Anybody associated with that scumbag is going down, Polo said Carter thought of Monroe. Money is associated with Estes, he revealed. What? Monroe is dead, Polo shot back. Estes staged Monroe's death to protect him from the Haitians, Polo. He's very much alive, and he's doing business with Estes, Carter said as he stood to his feet. He began to pace the room. I had no idea, Polo said regretfully. I'd never do anything to destroy the cartel. He's not aligned with the cartel anymore, Polo. I came here to get a connect from you so I could take back the streets from Monroe. He wanted out. He wanted to do his own thing, Carter explained. And now you're at war with your brother over real estate in Miami, Polo summarized. He's your brother, Carter. Your younger brother. You are his keeper. Me and your daddy were like brothers, and I don't give a fuck what beef we had. I would never bring him harm. You take care of your brothers, Carter. Guilt weighed down Carter's shoulders because he had just given Zaire the okay to take care of Monroe. Money's out of control. He tried to have my youngin' Zaire murked. He's murdering our men, burning our trap houses. He's your brother. Money and Zaire aren't fighting over money, drugs, turf. They're fighting over you. They both want to be at your right. You gotta make them realize they're both equally valuable to you. You're the oldest. You can dead the beef, Polo said, cutting off Carter. Monroe and your friend Zaire will follow by your example. You have the power to remedy things, but whether you do or not, chances are the war will be over soon. I hate to say this, but Monroe is under scrutiny of the feds. There is no way he can make it out of this one. And unless you want to see him spend his life behind bars, you have to warn him. You should have warned us all, Polo, Carter answered. Polo stood to his feet and placed his fedora hat back on his head. I'm sorry, Carter. I still got some connections in South America and a few over in Asia. These are safe. No one knows about these, he said as he wrote down contact information for Carter. These connects make Essence's coke look like baby powder. Is this a setup? Carter asked, disappointed that someone so thorough had turned informant. No, Carter. This is a real deal, baby boy. Polo replied. He looked at Carter with sympathetic eyes. Take care of your brother. Get him out of the country as soon as possible. They've been building this case against Estes for four years. Money doesn't want to be anywhere near Estes when the other shoe drops. I still think he uh, set this all up. I don't care. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Uh, You can leave a review on uh, Podchaser. You can leave a review for this episode or the show as a whole. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can join our group, Ratchet Book Club, on Facebook. Um, And you can leave a review on uh, Good Pods. You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast. Uh, you can donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast. You can uh, donate to the show on the Good Pods app by going to our tip jar. Thank you all so much for listening. We greatly appreciate it. Um, I am happy because there's only four fucking chapters left. Thank God. Y'all be good. I'm out to you later. Peace.